You're listening to the Practically Speaking Mom podcast. I'm Val Harrison, mom to seven. Five of them are grown and two are still at home. I'm also a mother-in-law and a grandma too. God has given me a passion for encouraging and equipping moms in this worthy journey of motherhood. For the past 20 years at parenting events and moms groups, I've been privileged to meet many mamas who are doing their best to be intentional in loving their kids, preparing them for life, and loving the Lord too. It's my honor to bring you tools for the journey every week. You can find lots more resources on my website, practicallyspeakingmom.com. That's also where you can subscribe to receive my weekly email of a blog post and podcast, all sharing the same theme for that week. Intentional Moms, let's get started with building stronger families right now. You're listening to episode 153 of the Practically Speaking Mom podcast. I'm Val Harrison, the Practically Speaking Mom. Joining me on the podcast today is Melanie Hempy. She is the founder of Screen Strong Families. Screen Strong is a 501c3 nonprofit providing alternative ways to raise kids in a screen-dependent world. If you are ready to stop screen conflicts in your home and prevent screen addiction, they are here to help. So we're going to learn about some of their resources and some of Melanie's story. Due to the nature of this topic, there are a couple of online issues that are mentioned by name only. No prolonged detail or any descriptions about what that is, but some certain words are mentioned. I just wanted you to know that in case you have younger ears listening that you don't want to tell them what something means. Now, next week, I will be sharing a free resource that our family uses to help us navigate movies and TV watching and helping our kids to develop discernment of their own to help them make better decisions for themselves about what movies and TV shows they should watch and will watch. So that's what's coming next week. But this week is specifically about internet. I'm so looking forward to spending this time with you because this is such a critical issue in families' lives today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Val. I'm so glad to be here. I feel like the biggest threat against our families and against our kids is really the internet because it attacks our kids from all four main areas of their life. It attacks them spiritually with a whole bunch of lies. It attacks them socially with this fake reality of relationships aren't the same as in real life. It affects them mentally, and it also affects them physically, which, of course, there's the small things like less healthy because they're not moving as much, but there's also brain addictions and things. I have four kids. You know, the first one, I believed that all this stuff was going to help him. Somehow he was going to learn code playing Call of Duty. I don't know why I thought that, but maybe because he told me that. And then he just started playing, playing, playing more video games. He ended up dropping out of college, straight A, seven AP classes going into college. Very smart kid. But he dropped out because all he did was play video games and he didn't go to class. And then that started the whole downward spiral of how we created screen strong and how the books got written and how all this actually got started. But I did not know. I didn't know I was actually taking away all his advantages. And that's exactly what I did. I I didn't mean to, I, I just didn't know. 
Okay, so can you share with us the resources that ScreenStrong.com offers? Sure. So as a result of all my work in the field here with parents, my boots are on the ground. I'm very aware of what their needs are. And so we try to meet their needs as much as we can. So the three little books I have are on Amazon. You can just look on our site and they're very, very short because I know that parents don't have a lot of time to read, but there's a book on how we made it through high school without my daughter having social media or smartphone. She had a basic phone and it was an experiment, but I did that experiment because my first experiment with my son did not work out so well. And will your gamer survive college? That's a great little booklet to read if you've got kids and now, I don't know, two years old to middle school to high school or, you know, getting ready to go to college is almost too late, but it's what happened to my son and what, and how to keep it from happening to your son. And then we have a book on the Screen Strong Solution. So our resources are our Facebook group, the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. We also have an ambassador program. If you get very excited about this and you think, I want to do a presentation to my school about this, we've got your back on that. We will train you how to do that. We'll give you a slide deck and we'll teach you how to do that. We have a course coming up for parents because I know that when I was out before COVID, I could get around to a lot of places in person. And of course, now that's really difficult, but we're reaching a whole lot more people with our course. And you can do that in a small group, which I totally recommend you get your own community, go get five friends. This is how I did it back when my boys were in third grade. I got a group of five moms together. We read books together. All of us were screen strong at the same time. Our kids didn't even know the difference. They got through middle school just fine. Of course, there's things, certain things about middle school that are tough anyway, but we made it because we had our community. And then of course, we have our podcast where we bring on a lot of experts and physicians and whatnot and professional people on there as well as moms just talking about how to be screen strong. And what we mean by screen strong is that you delay video games and you delay social media and smartphones. We do not believe and we do not recommend that the kids all the way through high school have smartphones. They do not need smartphones. They don't need to play video games either. Now that's your choice as a family. We don't judge anybody, but if you've had it and you've gotten to the point where you, you know, you can't handle it. Like, you know, you can't monitor everything. Cause by the way, if you allow it, then you do have to monitor every single thing. We know that kids brains are not mature enough to do it themselves. And uh, we also know that teaching them discipline And willpower, the way that we teach willpower is not by giving them the addictive thing. The way you teach willpower is you teach them to stay away from the triggers. So when they build that willpower, then they'll be ready for the temptation later when their brain is more developed. So between all those things, I think I covered most everything we have. I hear a lot of parents say, I'm going to give my child this smartphone and then when it's a problem, then I'll address it. What would you have to say to that parent? That's what I did. And it is much harder to reverse the problem than it is to prevent the problem. Many parents do just like what you said. Well, we, we don't have a problem now. So we're just going to keep going down this path until we have a problem. The problem with that thinking is that when you finally see that you have a problem, it is a very deep-seated problem. It's the tip of the iceberg that you finally see. You don't understand that it's been building and building. A video game addiction or a smartphone addiction does not happen overnight. Really, as I think through all my nursing background, as well as all of my own experience, 
with raising children and working in this field for the many years that I have, I would say the biggest problem is that it affects children's and teens attachment to their families. And so anything that threatens that attachment is it's going to go downhill from there. So to talk about the different areas that you mentioned, like just for example, if we just start with the mental health area, we know there is so much more anxiety and stress and depression and suicide now, and it has gone up tremendously since smartphones and video games have become so easily accessible for our kids. This is not a mystery. This is science. This is data. So we look and see why is this happening? So for parents who are just getting into this issue because their kids are in first, second or third grade. And it's really, really a struggle because they don't know. Like I said, we don't know. We don't know what's happening when a child is on hours of a video game or hours of social media, that there are neuronal pathways and that that reward center is getting repaved But parents don't understand the connection between the mental health issues, the physical issues, the spiritual issues that you mentioned, all of these issues. The kick here, Val, is that for that parent who says, well, I'm just going to let them do because, you know, I think they're doing pretty well. I mean, they're in third or fourth grade or maybe fifth or sixth grade and, and they're handling it. They're more mature than any of their friends. In fact, they're more mature than I ever was when I was in sixth grade you know, and they don't, we have such a good relationship. They don't lie to me. They're not going to just do something and not tell me. And I'm a good mom and I'm a detective and I'm going to know when they do something, all these things are really common blind spots that parents have. Even if you're training them and having conversation after conversation, their frontal cortex area of their brain, they're very black and white at this stage. They cannot think abstractly till they get more into the later adolescent years. So when we ask them to do something, don't click on that. Don't friend that person. Don't like that. They're nodding and we love them and we think they get it. They don't get it. And this is what breaks my heart. You cannot imagine that just in a few short years, you are going to be caught off guard. Your family will will be crushed the first time that you realize that he's stumbled into a chat room that he shouldn't be, or she's on Pinterest looking at pornography. There is so much pornography on Pinterest, but moms say, well, she's just looking up cupcakes. And then all of a sudden she typed in the word thin. And then when you type in the word thin on Pinterest, beware, you're going to get every anorexia board out there. And then you're wondering why your 13 year old daughter now is going to the grocery store to get dried fruit to eat. And you see the tip of the iceberg. You're just seeing the tip. I mean, I kind of see this almost as it feels like it's a part-time job to stay aware and to realize the bigness of the dangers and then how to manage them. And I know for your family, you're not a screen-free family. You still use screens at your house and I'm not a screen-free family. I know that you very much teach people that we can be a toxic screen-free family. Mm -hmm. That is what we need to focus on. Let's just take a practical turn here for a minute and look at what do you implement in those times when let's say your kid needs to research something. So what are the protocols, rules of how you handle that at your house? 
You are correct. We are not screen-free, but we have a game-free home and we have a porn-free home. And what that means is I'm very diligent about pornography. That's one of the biggest things that I really stay on top of. But we tell our kids, this is the reason why we have this brain development piece over here about pornography. We have all that. So we give them the reasons why we are being very diligent. And because we teach people to sort of parent like a coach, our family becomes our team. And you want to build that family team spirit, that connection. It's like us against them, the world against us, right? It's not us against our kids or our kids against us. We are the coach. They are the team. We build in so much fun and family time that when we come out with our rules around screens, they trust us just like you trust your coach. So we have necessary screen time. And then you have the entertainment, leisure screen time that can get super toxic, super quick. I'll just tell you, like at our house, we love baseball. We watch baseball games on TV. We follow certain teams and that becomes a family bonding thing that we do. That's awesome. For their homework, what we do is a little bit different. They have laptops at school. They're in high school right now, but we've done this for a while. We put Microsoft families on there It's free. It comes with Microsoft. You can find any free parental control. And we literally lock down every search they could possibly go. Everything's locked down. We have a whitelist of like 10 things that we know they need for school. So those websites are unlocked. We then, when they're doing their homework, they'll say, mom, I'm doing a research paper. I get a little notification. I click yes. It's fine. We have found that that works a million times better than trying to block certain sites. So we take an opposite approach. Does that make sense? Instead of allowing everything and blocking certain sites, we allow certain sites. And that has worked out so well, but we have found that and even my kids have said, you know, it's really not that big of a nuisance and this keeps them on task. And they have to say, hey, mom, can I get on this? And I'll see what the site is and I'll say, yeah, go ahead. So that's how we handle it. That was a big epiphany for me. That saved us tons of complication and arguments or or just frustration. We try to get their screen homework done as soon as they can during the evening when they come home from their ball practices. And then we close the lids and then they do the other writing and the reading that they need to do off their screen. So if you have young kids, think of it as a way to get in, do the homework and get out. The other thing that we do is we still co-view as much as possible. This is a huge tip, even and more so, you know, with high school kids, because moms will say, well, at some point they're going to have to be on their own. And that is correct. But every day that they're in high school, that brain is getting a little more connected. Those myelin sheaths are getting a little more connected. They don't have to be exposed and handle all these temptations right now in order to handle them later. So yes, we do co-view. They're in the kitchen. The, The laptops are always in a public place. They are never allowed up in their bedroom. They're never allowed to go hide in the basement or even on the porch. I don't allow it anywhere. I want to be working around doing something in the kitchen, which, you know, as a parent, you live in the kitchen and and that sense of accountability is very calming for them. This is, we don't fight over this. It's just an accountability that they have, that they know I'm here and, you know, and it's just wonderful. We have a presence with them while they're on their screen. 
it's just the way it has to be because of where they are with their development and what is out there chasing them down on their screen. So one thing I hear in there is compartmentalizing life or at least compartmentalizing screens to one segment or small segments of their life rather than it filtering into every little moment of of our lives and place in our life. And I love that. That's really important to me. So I hear you saying when they come home, let's take this time, this screen time, and then let's get off of screens and Mm -hmm. let's allow them freedom from that as well so that they can truly live and experience real life. I mean, we, we know we're on screens. We know what that feels like to Mm -hmm. feel that connected to the world stuff that goes on inside of us. We need to give them breaks from that connected to the world aspect of living and truly live thinking about this moment, what I am doing, who I'm communicating with, that I am having time to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to me and and having time to pray as I am going about my life or praise and listen to praise music, interact with my family, create bonding moments and, and just development and hobbies. And there's so much living that is cutting out of our kids' lives when we allow screens to not be a compartmentalized little spot in their life. Right. Right. And what you're saying, what you're describing is that screens are a tool, not a toy. They should be used on purpose for a reason, never to just pass time. And so, especially when your kids are young and all the way through the late adolescent years, they need your help to do this. They need you to model it with them. Not that we're saying, oh, bad parent, you're on your screen. That's not the point. When my kids were younger, all the way through middle school, when I was still driving them home, I would literally pull in the driveway leave my phone in the car and shut the door because I knew if I brought it in, you know, that first 30 minutes is so critical. After about an hour, I'd go get my phone and it was fun, but I knew that I had to be present with them. And at that point, they didn't have any screen homework. They didn't have anything like that. We talked, we unpacked their day. We got them busy out in the backyard or they'd go call their friend, you know, then I would go get my phone. So, and with them, I never allow them to just get on their screen. And I don't have to ask them now anymore, but in the beginning, it's like, okay, what do you need this for? And how long do you think you need it for? Okay. Well, I need to write an essay and it's probably going to take me about an hour. Okay. Okay, good. That's fine. So sit here in the kitchen and we'll do it and they'll do it. And it kind of keeps them on task. And then they get done, they close the lid and they're done. That that's really true. If you're going to allow any kind of social media in your house for your kids, which we don't recommend that at all, according to many, many reasons, but according to the science and according to the research out there, kids who have social media accounts do worse in every measurable area of life. They have way more advantages if they don't have it. A kid who's on social media is really in a disadvantaged state. So we don't, we don't recommend they have social media, but if you want that family Instagram account, put it on mom's phone. You have a family Instagram account, your family Facebook group, and the child's friends can like that. And then maybe every few days you can sit down at the table with your daughter and say, oh, let's look at our Instagram and see what, but it's not her carrying it around her pocket 24 hours a day, you know, becoming attached to it like Velcro. It is used as a tool in, in a very limited way. If you think about it, like we kind of, we kind of say about TV, 
because people say, well, what, what's, what's the difference? Well, there's a big difference between TV and interactive screens, you know, passive versus interactive screens. But if you can think about this, treating screens, leisure screen use like dessert, you don't necessarily have it every day. You, you always have dessert with friends. Otherwise you're binging in the closet, eating the Oreo cookies. That's not a good idea. You have to have purposeful use. Otherwise, Val, it's like the house floods, the water seeps into every nook and cranny, right? That's just what screen time does. It just will take over. I have a 12-year-old who she does not have her own contacts out there in the world, but she also uses my account together with me, which is a great way to teach her appropriate things. It's a, because we're boasting at the same time, I'm able to say, Hey, you see what that person is doing? I mean, how they're handling social media. Yeah. You see how that person is handling social media. Let's talk about the dangers in that. If you were to do something like that. So it's been a great way to teach her and to keep it incredibly compartmentalized uh, to a couple times a week. You know, we can sit down together And I can teach her some skills so that when she is out with the rest of the world in other settings where I'm not, then she has some concepts to help her manage what's going on around her. So that's been important for us. And along with that, I also have my kids sign an internet agreement. Mm -hmm. And so that helps us to give them, we, we include in it some ways out for them when they find themselves in a situation, what are the steps to take to get out of that situation Mm -hmm. um, regarding internet and something that can come on because they're going to be out in public and some friend is going to say, Hey, look at this on my phone. You know, Mm -hmm. how does our child handle that? And Mm -hmm. so equipping them with those scenarios of how do I handle that situation? Mm-hmm. Something you've said is that girls are more prone to falling into social media addiction. Boys are more prone to falling into gaming addiction. Will you just speak to that real quick? Great question. This is really important for parents to understand this piece. A boy's brain is different than a girl's brain. It's just the limbic area in a male brain is a little bigger than the limbic area in a girl's brain. This means that they're driven a little bit more by competition and excitement and reward. And so video games are rewarding. They get to see right where they are in their leaderboard and it's concrete and they love competition. And that's just part of the biological makeup for girls. Their neocortex is a little bit bigger. This means that they care a lot more about social things, everything, social, social status, and they are very, very sensitive to losses. Boys want to win that video game, which is why statistically they are more drawn. It's not to say that girls don't play video games and boys don't do social media. Absolutely, they do. The problem is that girls get really, really hurt on their social media, even more so than boys. Even the way they post, when a boy posts something on social media, it's usually something about a friend or a picture of a friend or something that the group was doing or something, whatever. When a girl posts on social media, It's about her. She's taking a picture in the mirror and then she's Photoshopping her selfie and she's doing all of these things. It's more personal to her. And she feels much more pain from rejection than boys do. It's not that boys don't feel pain for rejection. So I don't want people to misunderstand me, but the peak 
age that a girl will feel the most pain from rejection is the age of 15. And this is statistics and research and all sorts of data on this. So we wonder why girls are getting so depressed and anxious. I think the depression rate and anxiety rate is at least double than what it is for boys. There's a reason for that. They are more prone to the damage on social media, if that makes sense. Now, can you take a minute to tell us about, I I love that you have a concept that basically says as a society, we've got a concept backwards and that's the haves and the have nots Mm -hmm. that what we hear from our kids is everybody's got one. I need to have it too. Can you just speak to that concept of the haves versus have nots? How this kind of came to me was when I was talking with a group of kindergarten through third grade teachers. And what they told me was earth shattering. It used to be that you could really tell kids that were coming in that had families that poured into their life. But now what's happening is parents are on their screen. The kids are on their screen. There's not as much face-to-face. There's not as much play outside to build their core, really literally to build and exercise their core. They're, They're nowhere near the amount of words spoken in the home anymore. And that is devastating to a birth through four-year-old. And so what do we end up with? We end up with acquired ADHD. We end up with anxiety. We end up with stunted social skills. So when you take this obstacle away, when you take away the handheld devices, the tablets, which by the way, those are really about the worst things in so many ways, you take away the unfettered, you know, unlimited use of laptops and watching YouTube, all that you take that away. And then all of a sudden your kids are left to have an imagination, to be creative, to get outside more, to be around more friends, to draw, to do music, learn how to knit, learn how to read people, learn how to speak to adults, read the newspaper, do crossword puzzles. And I think this is the rub. Parents don't understand they're hurting their kids. They don't understand that they're putting them on this terrible trajectory. They have taken away all the advantages that they've worked so hard to give their kids. I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I've made more mistakes than anybody listening today. I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) So it's very frustrating for parents. They think they're giving their kids an advantage and they're not. And if you're a mom and you feel like a gut feeling that something isn't right, then you better follow that gut and always err on the side of caution on this. Do not take risk with your kids. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, delay. Simple as that. We're not saying no forever. We're just saying no for now. Yeah. Two last quick things here. I think you recommend watching with your family a documentary called Screened Out. Will you kind of briefly say what that is? It's just a really good documentary about how we are all getting sucked into, <laughs> you know, the vortex <laughs> and, and really what to do about it. Uh, Dr. Jean Twenge is on that. I'm in that documentary. Hillary Cash is in there. It's very family friendly. Of course, you, you might want to watch it first if you've got really young kids, but we love that documentary, of course. So where, where can they watch that? 
they can go to screenedout.com, the website, and they should be able to get to it from there. And it should be in the resources and on our website as well. We do need more information for families to look at together with their kids. And so part of our Kids Brains and Screens course, the online course that we have, is designed, of course, for parents, but there are many sections that you can sit down and show your kids. You can say, here's the brain development. Here's the piece on video games. This is what games are actually doing to your brain. And we have all of the different physical and behavioral, you know, all the different things that it does. And then we have the same thing for smartphones on there. So the course is like an interactive experience. And then the solutions part is part two, and that's called the Screen Strong Solutions. And they, they go together. That part goes through the steps on how to live a Screen Strong lifestyle, you know, how to handle certain objections and just how to, to make it work in our culture. We believe that you have to stand out and you have to take a stand. And also, I just also believe, I think parents get really confused about parenting around certain issues. Like if you're going to parent around curfews or haircuts or wardrobe, or when can my child date? You know, there are a lot of issues that we say we have to balance and we have to have give and take, and we have to negotiate with our kids. They have to learn how to have choices. But the danger is that parents try to apply that parenting to non-negotiables. It's not good for you to drink and do drugs and shoplift. And it's really not good for you to be on video games and social media. So they get confused and they try to say, well, we shouldn't lock it all down because then they'll binge and go crazy, or we should give them choices. You can't apply those parenting solutions to every parenting issue. And this is the rub. Parents are trying to say, well, we got to balance it. Well, the way you balance a screen is you let them do their schoolwork. You let them do their Excel homework. They're not going to get addicted to that. You let them do good screen use, but not bad screen use. That's how you balance it. You don't balance the bad stuff. Moderation is good in many things but moderation is not good in the non-negotiables. Okay. Last thing you guys have a social media seven day challenge. Can you tell them about that? We have a seven day challenge and we have a 30 day challenge. And so the seven day challenge, a lot of schools do the, the seven day where they give, they say to the kids, take a week off and then write an essay and you get extra credit. It's really cool. You can do this with your family as well. Seven days is the free challenge. It's on our site. And then you get the 30-day challenge when you get the course. But it's just giving you some instructions and encouragement to not do video games and not do smartphones for seven days for the kids. This is for the kids. We know adults have to work. And of course, you know, but just to give you an awareness, seven days is just going to get your toe in the water. It's just going to give you a little glimpse into what are my kids going to do now for a week? And they can then get to see what they do instead. And of course, you know, we have suggestions to how to set this up and you're doing lots of stuff outside and having some picnics maybe, or you're having family reading night and board game night. And then the Friday of that week, you want to have maybe a movie night with popcorn and you make pizza or do something fun. So we just give you the experience to see what life can be like without 
video games and social media. It is very doable. This is how our Facebook group got started in the beginning. So a lot of parents that are in our Facebook group will come in and say, I'm on day three. They're having a meltdown on the kitchen floor. What do I do? (laughs) And then a bunch of moms get in and say, okay, well, this is what you do. (laughs) So again, we have to have community. We have to have some grit. Most parents after the challenge keep going and going. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. My kids are talking to me again. I've never heard them talk so much to me. And a lot of really cool testimonies from it. Yeah, I definitely hear testimonies from moms of they saw the problem that their child was having with a screen. They finally got the courage to take the screen away, which was really bad behavior at first, which showed them even more how addictive their child was to it. And then they got to experience their child again, you know, their real child, and they got to experience relationship and their child digging in the dirt and discovering Mm. things and, and imagination development and, and creativity and all of those developments started coming back to them. And then they were really glad they did it. So I definitely hear that from moms regularly. So I, I don't think anybody encourage, mom, encourage moms to do it. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever said, well, that was the worst thing we ever did. I'll never do that again. <laughs> it's like, they feel so much better. You're right. They feel so much better. Well, thank you for this time. I really enjoyed it. And you just keep on being strong and, and sending this message. We're here to help and we've got your back. So thanks for having me. My intentional mom friend, it's an honor to meet with you every week to help equip and encourage you in your worthy journey of being mama to your masterpiece. If this podcast is a blessing to you, won't you please take the time to share it with moms that you know, and then head over to practicallyspeakingmom.com to subscribe to my weekly email containing a blog post and podcast Join me on Instagram at Practically Speaking Mom and in the private Facebook group, Intentional Mom Strong Family. See you next week.